You ever hear something and know the world will never be the same? Houston, we have liftoff. Well, wait until you hear this one. Half price coffee. That's right. Get into McDonald's weekdays before 10.30 a.m. for any size premium roast coffee or iced coffee. Both made with 100% Arabica beans, both half the price. Good is brewing. And that's the sound of your morning changing. Limited time only. May not be combined with any offer or combo meal at participating McDonald's. We're really happy to have with us today Roy Hausman. Mr. Hausman is legislative director for the United Steelworkers. He's been a part of the union's legislative and policy department since 2011, working on a broad array of issues, including trade and pensions. And before going to Washington, D.C., he worked at the former Smurfett Stone Paper Mill in Missoula, Montana. He served as president of USW Local 885. And after a trade-related mill closure in 2010, he completed a Master's of Public Administration degree from the University of Montana using trade adjustment assistance benefits. His efforts on aiding steel workers qualify for trade adjustment benefits has qualified over 10,000 union members. That's quite a feat of that in a resume. Uh, over 10,000 union members across the country for work training because of trade impacts. Uh, somebody you got to admire and respect with uh, that bio. Uh, more than a pleasure to have with us, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers, the USW, Mr. Roy Hausman. Uh, Mr. Hausman's in the house, we can say. Good afternoon, Mr. Hausman. Thank you for joining us. Good, af- good afternoon. It's wonderful to be on. You know, bad trade deals have a devastating effect on our economy, on workers, on families, and just trying to put food on the table. And especially NAFTA, we have seen the devastating legacy that that has left for decades, two decades to be exact, over 20 years. uh, We lost 5 million manufacturing jobs, nearly 90,000 factories here in the United States. Of course, we know they've gone to places like China, Vietnam, uh, India, uh, and even uh, Mexico. Um, Let's talk about that first before we talk about NAFTA 2.0. Talk about the bad of NAFTA. Talk about a little bit more uh, based on what I said, the loss of those factories, the loss of those jobs, and certainly where those jobs and factories went to. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, from the United Steelworkers' perspective, we've been, you know, as the largest manufacturing union in the country, we have a we have experienced and we've seen firsthand knowledge. And uh, you know, as uh, someone who's helped certify all uh, 10,000 workers in TAA, we've seen firsthand what what happens when trade agreements don't have the proper labor protections, when the the rules are set by you know basically large corporations, major companies, and you know from our perspective, elite individuals who aren't thinking about all the stakeholders that um, that need to be lifted up in a trade agreement. And in 1994, when the passage of NAFTA, there was this promise that uh, all boats would be lifted up through this agreement. And as we've seen over the last 25 years, it just isn't the truth. Um, millions of manufacturing jobs have left the country here in the U.S. And while lots of manufacturing jobs have also been created in Mexico, those jobs didn't they don't pay the same benefits levels or treat workers with the same respect that we we demand in this country and uh any worker in any you know in fully developed country would fully would uh, expect and uh in their communities so this is a big aspect for us and that's why it's been so important for us to to uh find a way to improve workers rights in other countries while also maintaining and securing the right for US workers to bargain 
I want to talk about some of those U.S. workers. We've heard from uh, companies like Carrier or Rexnord, and a couple of reasons is we heard the president talk about stopping to ship jobs uh, to places, specifically to Mexico with those companies. Um, But there are jobs that have gone to Mexico from those companies and others, and workers who've kept their jobs. I think a lot of people think, well, if you keep your job here, you're safe. But that's not the truth, is it? I mean, workers um, here are still threatened. Uh, tire workers at Goodyear, for example, um, and they had opened at a facility in Mexico in San Luis Postos, uh, uh, Potosi uh, in 2017. Um, so can you talk to us about that? Because I think people have the idea that if jobs you know, go overseas uh, to Mexico, they're gone. And to your point, you know, what, what is the environment like for a, a worker, uh, a laborer in that country? And then what happens to those workers left behind? They're still, their jobs still are threatened to a degree, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for us, it's about looking at the uh, impact of the manufacturing jobs here in the U.S. And when those those jobs are impacted um, through a whole host of reasons, and you have to look through the entire supply chain. We work, we talk to Communication Workers of America members who they see their call center jobs being moved to Mexico now because, uh, uh, insanely enough, uh, Trump's deportations of uh, immigrant communities has led a host of English-speaking migrants um, down in Mexico now who are AT&T is hired to, to do phone calls uh, for uh, U.S. customers. And so it's about, for us, you know, in manufacturing, and you look, Goodyear is a prime example. Uh, Goodyear Tire is a long-established global brand, American-based com- company with 7,200 USW members uh, that have a five-year contract or are in the middle of a five-year contract. And uh, we've been fighting diligently to make sure and maintain that contract. But the company built a brand-new $500 million plant in Mexico where workers, our members, make anywhere between, you know, around $24 an hour on an average, while in, in at the Goodyear plant in uh, Mexico there, those workers make a, uh, around a dollar, starting around $1.88 an hour, and don't have the same benefits or um, protections. And how can anyone compete, you know, how is that any sort of, you know, oftentimes in economics they talk about this thing called comparative advantage. And the comparative advantage should not be done on the backs of workers. This idea that, like, Mexico is somehow uh, more productive when really they're just exploiting the ability of these uh, of the laws and regulations in Mexico and the weak labor laws in Mexico um, to, to keep price, you know, to keep wages down. And, you know, these brand-new plants, uh, you know, the Gatson plant that where we've seen 175 workers get laid off, you know, these that plant's been there for 90 years. And oftentimes it's families that work at those plants with generations of, of workers who have uh, come in and out of that facility and raised their family and kids. And um, to see this impact of a brand-new plant being invested in and see workers having to compete for the same, you know, to the same customers uh, for, for pennies on the dollar. And it's, it's sad um, to think that uh, that, that isn't what we were promised with globalization. And I don't, and that's why we've been so committed to fighting back and trying to not only preserve domestic manufacturing jobs um, and the whole tax base that supports it, but 
then also improves working hours and wages and work, working conditions in Mexico. Um, because if we don't do that, we're only going to continue to see the siphoning of jobs um, south of the border. And um, hopefully we'll set a model that will um, allow us to negotiate better trade agreements uh, for labor enforcement with other countries as well. Very well said. Um, you know, Mexican workers, you know, you touched upon what the working conditions are like there. And I know at the Goodyear plant, Mexican workers there were protesting poor working conditions. It was a one-day strike. It was a strike not authorized by the company-controlled uh, union. Uh, what happened to some of the people who were involved or all of the people who were involved in that strike, that one-day strike? So, yes, uh, as you've pointed out, um, Goodyear tire workers in Mexico found out you know, they know what our members make, and they wanted some of these same protections and same uh, personal protective equipment, you know, the PPE is what we call it in the uh, in the workplace, right? Uh, they wanted these same workplace protections and the same safety gear that we have, and uh, workers decided to take action just like the Flint, Michigan workers did in the 30s and took a strike and left a, a wildcat strike without authorization by a company-controlled union. And the at first, Goodyear, you know, they put out some platitudes, but then they fired 47 of these workers that went out on protest uh, and, you know, have refused to update and uh, fix some of the issues that have been brought up. And the company-controlled union has only assisted along in this process. And so now workers there are working to try and get an independent union, because in Mexico, um, labor law is such that a lot of the a lot of times companies sign contracts with unions, uh, company-controlled unions, before uh, the ground is even broken at a facility or a plant. That allows those workers. So workers oftentimes don't even see a copy of their contract uh, or what rights they have at their workplace um, before they're hired. And uh, how are they supposed to keep their union honest and keep uh, democracy, you know, and uh, and have any sort of democratic input into their facility if um, with uh, these uh, corporate-run unions? And to have a company like Goodyear not do what it's supposed to do and work, you know, to try and rep uh, repair those sorts of uh, uh, legal labor practices is, is something that we're working really hard to remedy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. If you want to join us, 888-6LESLIE. We're back. Roy Hausman's our guest, legislative director for the United Steelworkers. We're talking about NAFTA and also we're talking about NAFTA 2.0. Uh, uh, Mr. Hausman, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, NAFTA was bad, not just for workers here, as you have mentioned, obviously for Mexico as well, and our neighbor to the north part of NAFTA, uh, Canada. Um, you know, a lot of people say that what NAFTA did is it pitted workers from all three countries against each other in a sense, um, and certainly pitted workers who were earning family-supportive wages um, against those specifically in Mexico, because those workers had lower wages than in the United States and Canada, and as you had mentioned, without the protections of real labor unions in Mexico, um, as as a result of that, could you speak to the unemployment and the poverty levels? Uh, because unemployment rose, but it looks like poverty levels remained the same. That's correct. Um, we've highlighted it. You know, um, 
basically the you know while incomes you know have has grown and income equality in the U.S. has been a growing concern, uh, you know with NAFTA we have to consider other countries' uh, poverty rates as well. And you know in Mexico, uh, you know the 2014 poverty rate, which is the last known data that we have, is 55.1 percent. That which is higher than the poverty rate in 1994 when NAFTA was signed. Um, you know as a result there's 20.5 million more Mexican uh, living below the poverty line. And it's just, uh, to me, when you look at the growth rate of Mexico, this is also so key, is that while the rest of Latin America had a significant growth in GDP, which is like the gross domestic product, what we use for a measurement on how countries expanding, when Mexico signed into NAFTA, their growth rate matched the U.S.'s at around 2.4% over that period of time. And what that means is while the U.S. is a richer, you know, larger economy, 24% of the global GDP, think about that, 24%, Mexico tied itself to the U.S. and allowed companies to build plants, build the manufacturing, but then at the same time they didn't upgrade their own laws to allow those workers to harvest the benefits of trade agreements. And so now it ended up creating an ability for workers that pitted workers against each other. And this is one of the reasons why we see the renegotiated NAFTA as an opportunity to create some enforcement, something that we've asked for since the beginning of NAFTA discussions. There's so much to be said about Mexico. And, and one of the big problems is obviously that the workers in Mexico don't have the protections of unions, or at least real unions, not unions that are pseudo unions owned by employers. Um, my understanding is that there were new labor laws passed that would help remedy this, but that Mexico actually has no budget to implement um, these labor laws that have passed. Uh, that would require hiring hundreds of judges, reviewing hundreds of thousands of labor agreements to to determine their validity, especially if they're pseudo-unions owned by the employers. Um, Has any of that changed? I mean, you have laws passed, but if you don't have the money to implement them, then nothing really has changed, correct? Oh, that's absolutely right. I mean, the law is only as good as its enforcement. And that's why we've both committed, the U.S. labor movement is committed to not only encouraging Mexico um, do, you know, do the investment necessary to improve their labor law and uh, upgrade the roughly 700,000 union contracts in Mexico um, so that they're actually true labor agreements with worker input and an ability to have a workers have a vote on their, un- on their contract, but also their union leadership. And then on top of that, it would be for us, it would be remiss if the U.S. labor movement and U.S. workers didn't have a mechanism to stop unfairly traded goods to come in. I highlight an issue that um, we, we, the steelworkers have supported for a long time, and it's called the Lacey Act. The Lacey Act is a long-standing law. It's been around since uh, Roosevelt era, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, and it was designed to stop the illegal harvest of um, foreign uh, animals, so like foreign bird parts and uh, ivory tusks, those kinds of things. And in 2008, it was updated to include plant products. And so if the product was illegally harvested or illegally cut down um, in a foreign country, we could stop it at the border and it wouldn't come into the U.S. Now, why shouldn't we do that for workers' rights as well? 
But the fact that workers in, the, in Mexico are being abused and threatened in a whole host of ways, and women workers there see there's terrible stories of women workers having uh, been, you know, sexually assaulted and other terrible, um, uh, of, you know, of acts of violence against them. And we don't have an ability to say those goods shouldn't come into the U.S. We need to hold those count, count, companies accountable for their what we consider illegal and immoral behavior. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with our guests. Lots to talk about here uh, with NAFTA, the old, and the NAFTA 2.0, the new and improved. Is it? We'll talk about it. With our guest, Mr. Roy Hausman, Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers. Uh, we'd love for you to join us as well. And by the way, one way to join is on social media. Uh, go to the website to check out the United Steelworkers website, USW.org. Follow Roy at Roy Hausman, R-O-Y-H-O-U-S-M-A-N, and follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers. We are back with Mr. Roy Hausman, a legislative director for the United Steelworkers. Good to have him with us. Thank you for holding through the break. Mr. Hausman, I had said to you we would talk about the old NAFTA, and we did. Uh, let's start to touch upon the new. Um, the new NAFTA, NAFTA 2.0, is a renegotiated version of the old NAFTA. Um, talk to us. Do you feel currently, as this stands, is this acceptable? I mean, they don't include labor enforcement mechanisms built into this agreement. And without that, is it fair to say that it's meaningless? That, that's absolutely correct. Is that while there's been while you know this agreement includes la- uh, an annex on the labor uh, they call a labor chapter, none of those provisions in that labor chapter are enforceable because they don't have a, a mechanism for U.S. workers or workers in uh, any of the three countries to hold um, the U.S., Mexico, or Canada accountable to to, to the trade agreement and to follow through on what there what was promised. So, you know, for example, Mexico has promised to implement labor law reform, but if it doesn't, we don't have an and we were to pass NAFTA today, we don't have an ability to enforce and to uh penalize uh companies who uh, are abusing uh the the trade agreement. And I think that that's a key piece is that without labor enforcement provisions um that are actual meaningful and have teeth um, it's just another paper agreement that um, has failed workers, just like the previous NAFTA. And so we—that's why you know the, the the amazing part is is that we've been engaged though, and you know the steelworkers have had a long history of working with um, uh, USTR Ambassador Lighthizer, who you know that while we have uh, significant problems with the Trump administration, we have had a long history of working with this individual, and we know, and he knows that. Um, he, from his work in the steel industry, that if we don't um, provide a better avenue for uh, workers to, to improve their lot in life, uh, we're just going to continue down a failed trade path. Now, the question is, is can he and uh, Democrats in the House and others overcome the rest of this uh, uh, terrible administration to, to actually implement these reforms is a, is a key point and a key, a, key, a key question that we have to push. And along with, uh, you know, so labor enforcement is so key to us. Another key piece is enforcing access to medicine provisions. You know, the fact that pharmaceutical companies have inserted a provision that would require um, long-time uh, 
data exclusivity periods, the periods where they can just exclusively charge basically whatever they want without any competition for over for 10 years is is ridiculous. And it this agreement binds the hands of Congress to be able to lower that rate, uh, lower those that that data exclusivity period. And in the, the Obama administration, in their last budget, they promised they said that if they if Congress lowered that um, data exclusivity period from 10 years to seven years, it would save the federal government around $7 billion over 10 years. And yet um, this agreement, as written right now, would lock in uh, higher drug prices, uh, which is a major issue for us to bargaining. You know, to have the ability to bargain on health care is so important to us as a union. And, you know, if we have to continue to bargain for health care, we have to have that ability to try and Congress has to do everything it can to lower health care prices. So, you know, that between uh, med access to medicine issues, labor enforcement, and then, of course, we have to recognize that uh, the environment as well is a key issue for us. Um, you know, we used to represent a lot of uh, battery workers in the U.S. They would uh, take the old batteries from vehicles and recycle them. Well, after NAFTA was passed, they, a lot of companies moved to those lead battery plants from the U.S. where there was higher environmental standards down to Mexico and they, to, do, to avoid U.S. environmental laws. And uh, it is absolutely unacceptable that we would just shift our pollution to another country and at the expense of U.S. jobs, but also at the expense of Mexican communities' health and welfare. And so this is, these are the things that we, as a labor movement, fight for in this trade agreement. And if we can't get these fixes, if we can't move the ball in the right direction, then we will do what we've done in previous trade agreements and work to kill them, like the TPP. I, I want to talk, God, there's so much to talk about. Uh, Mick Mulvaney is a millionaire. And uh, President Trump's uh, acting chief of staff and director of the Office of Management and Budget and he said, referring to NAFTA, told the Wall Street Journal, quote, we know that labor supports it. But that is problematic because the corporate honchos, the corporate lobbyists are the ones who negotiated these deals, both for the old NAFTA and for the new. And how can you speak for labor if you don't give a darn about labor, if you don't give a darn about jobs, if you don't give a darn about wages, if you don't give a, a, a darn about welfare, welfare of the workers? Absolutely. And I think that that's, you've hit the nail right on the head here, is that, you know, if you, if these trade agreements don't incorporate better wealth, social welfare programs for all workers and an ability to ensure that they're enforceable, like we're just continuing down a path of the last 25 years. And as, you know, and today's a great example of the, what's happened in the discourse in this country. If it wages and working conditions were better in Mexico, would we be, you know, we would be able to sell more goods, U.S. goods into Mexico. Mexican workers would have, um, you know, higher incomes and thresholds and more, you know, for them, there would be less incentive to try and to, you know, deal with some of the migration issues as well. And then you have, you know, this, this whole ability to improve our, you know, the whole region. And this is why we fight on, on NAFTA. You know, it can't just be about a giant sucking sound anymore, like Ross Perot said, because we know that that happened. But now it's about stopping that sucking sound and then empowering each workers in all three countries to ensure that we have the ability to to hold 
any administration accountable. Would you say, is it fair to say that NAFTA and NAFTA 2.0 are hardly different from one another um, uh, because, you know, they they really don't have any difference, really, when it comes to protections for workers? Yes, I think, you know, uh, one thing I've heard around the streets here in D.C. is this idea of, like, you haven't heard major companies complaining about new rules of origin standards, which is the rules that ensure that whatever uh, products are made in a trade agreement zone, whatever percentage, a certain percentage has to be made in the three countries. Well, you don't hear GM after the closure of Lordstown saying that the new rules of origin are going to change what they're doing. You don't hear major companies saying that um, this is going to impact them in a in a negative way or force them into a, into difficult decisions. And you know, so from our perspective, we know that we have to ensure that these major companies are held accountable. And the only way to do that is to actually have something that workers can access and empower and engage in to to hold these sorts of worker rights abuses uh, to account in a trade. And and that's the, the, the future of globalization for the labor movement, is that we know that it's happening. And, uh, you know, as someone who, I, you know, I, I, I went to high school when NAFTA was passed, you know. <laughs> so it's a whole new generation. Think of all the new generations that are coming in that haven't quite experienced NAFTA in the same way as, a, you know, a, a steel worker who spent 30 years in a plant. Like, their experiences are totally different, and they've seen globalization, both what can be good and all of the bad. And they want to try and make change. And that's what I'm so excited about. Like, as a, as a younger uh, worker, you know, younger person myself, I feel like there's this opportunity to, like, set what was what was incorrect in the past and try and make it right. And if we can't make it right this time, well, we'll do everything we can to stop it. Let's take some calls. We go to Michael in the Bronx, one of the five lovely boroughs of New York. Hey, Michael, thank you for joining us. Question or comment for our guest. Hello, Leslie, and hello to your guests. Can you hear me okay first? I can. Okay. I think the biggest solution and the biggest recommendation overall is to get this liar in chief out of the White House to begin with, be it impeachment and or um, voting him out in 2020, because the key central facts here is that he has constantly said, oh, the Mexicans are coming here illegally and taking your jobs, the Muslims are taking your jobs. He utters this lie after lie after lie, which is proven to be false, but in reality, he's the one with many major um, corporate rich people that have taken undocumented immigrants to perform services even to the point of slave-like labor and paying them well below the minimum wage, and which is the biggest suspect as to one of the reasons why Trump won't show his tax returns. Can you imagine someone um, working so doggone hard and I don't know what the minimum age um, wage is in California or some of the other states, but here in New York, it's $15. And what if some of these workers are being paid less than, say, a bottle of soda or a candy bar. Well, we appreciate your comments, uh, and, and I guess you could say uh, your rant there. Um, but I wanted you to speak to that, Mr. Hausman, because, you know, 
historically unions have voted very uh, strongly for Democrats. But, you know, President Trump has had a lot of support from within unions, including the United Steelworkers uh, members. Um, and, you know, there are people that are, you know, liking what he's doing. And, and we're hoping that not just uh, changing NAFTA would change circumstances for them, but we're hoping those factories would come back and the jobs would stop going overseas. Can you speak to Michael's points? So, yes, I think that, you know, coming into 2020, the labor movement has has to hold whoever wants to be president of the United States accountable. And I think that, you know, a good example is the Department of Labor Secretary nomination that's coming down the pike and the rules that are coming out that are attacking public sector unions and federal worker unions here in Washington, D.C. and across the country. These workers have put in due diligence every day to try and, like, make sure that our air is clean, that you get your Social Security check, that veterans receive the care that they deserve. And these, the, the Trump administration is doing everything to just decimate them, to eliminate their ability to hold their government accountable and in their their supervisors accountable. And so, you know, as union members, while 2016, you know, there was obvious difficulties related to trade and other things in the between the two candidates, you know, looking forward, we have to find candidates who are going to support the ability of workers to bargain collectively. And that's going to be our goal. And then two, this is super key, and I really appreciate the discussion about the president, but there are 22, there are 33 seats up for the Senate, and 22 of them are Republicans who have chosen to constantly side with the Trump administration on countless issues that are terrible for working people. And the question is, is if we change over the Senate, can, we need to do it in, in, in power, too, so that those senators will be able to remedy the, the sheer uh, pandemonium that has been created over the last um, three years. Uh, very well said. And Michael had talked about um, wages. He had talked about in New York, $15 an hour. Um, the, 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 pros, the proposal with uh, NAFTA 2.0 requires that workers earning an average of $16 an hour produce 40% of car and truck parts by 2023 um, to get that tariff-free uh, treatment. So on the surface, it looks like NAFTA 2.0 can help, but when you dig deeper, that's a very, very thin surface that could help. It's not certainly a fix-all at all. Oh, that's, that is the truth. I mean, when you say $16 an hour, it sounds great, but then when you combine it with like you said, like CEOs and uh, you know, engineers and others, it, that floor gets very thin very quickly. And, you know, for us, uh, it just emphasizes why we need better uh, enforcement mechanisms so that we can try and find other ways of raising wages for all workers. Yeah, right, because under the proposed deal, in order to be tariff-free, 75% of vehicle components would have to be produced in either Canada, the United States, uh, or Mexico. Currently, um, and, that, and, and that's you know significantly higher, 62.5% is where we're at currently. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously this doesn't even touch upon what China's doing to everybody. Um, oh. How do we prevent a new NAFTA from failing workers as terribly um, and catastrophically as the old NAFTA did when we saw how many millions of jobs were lost, entire industries 
wiped out and, and, and many communities, in a sense, wiped out when their industries were moved to countries like China, Mexico, Vietnam, India. So my, my first recommendation as a policy person and someone who sees the impact of w- members making phone calls and workers making phone calls into Congress is to is to weigh in with members of Congress. Right now, Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats have done an excellent job of holding account, holding the line and saying that this trade agreement is insufficient and that it needs better labor protections, needs better environmental protections, and needs uh, better access to medicine provisions. And, you know, the best way of ensuring that they hold that line is you call and you write and you uh, do every, you know, tweet, you do all the media things that you need to do and gather with your friends and get them to do it too because holding them accountable uh, will stop that, slow this process so that we get the right rules in the right place because it still has to go through a vote in the House of Representatives and the Senate. And if we do our work right, we'll be able to make sure that uh, this trade agreement works for all working people. Um, Council on Foreign Relations um, uh, talked about NAFTA's economic impact, and I would like you to speak to uh, how the uh, NAFTA has affected, you know, our entire economy. It's not just about some communities. It's not just um, about some industries. The entire economy was affected by NAFTA and certainly would be by the proposed NAFTA 2.0. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, no matter, you know, I look, I've with my experience filling out trade adjustment assistance petitions, I can tell you it isn't just Ohio, it's Arizona, uh, you know, Tennessee. Workers from every region of the country have felt this impact of, uh, you know, uh, insufficient labor protections and trade agreements. And uh, the you know, rapid globalization with no consequences towards the the very human impacts and environmental impacts of rapid globalization. So for us, it's a you know it's such a key piece for us is to ensure that um, we move forward in a way that um, imp- will change er- the direction of workers in every every state in the country. We have uh, less than a minute left. Uh, last minute or less for you. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? Um, we are really close to a nexus point in the next couple of months on the trade agreement. And, you know, the best thing for you to do is if you feel strongly that workers in Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. need better rights, then you need – then pick up the phone, call your member of Congress, and tell them that it's time to make change and that you want better labor enforcement in, in the NAFTA 2.0. Thank you. Very well done. <laughs> and in the time allowed uh, we'll definitely have you back more than a pleasure to speak with you and I, I'm glad to talk to you Mr. Hausman Mr. Roy Hausman Legislative Director for the United Steelworkers once again follow him on Twitter as I mentioned at Roy Hausman and follow the Steelworkers at Steelworkers check out their website usw.org How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love. 